Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. From NBI Studios, this is Truth and Justice, a crowdsourced investigation in real time. I'm Bob Ruff. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Truth and Justice. This is your Friday follow-up episode for Season 10, Episode 27, After the Arrest. In this episode, we broke down the very sarcastically thorough investigation that was done by Allen and Swainson after Jennifer was arrested. As I broke down in the episode, we found out that they put in a whopping three days of investigation only looking for Ernest and Tim, and then they closed the case and just waited to take it to trial. With me in the studio today, as almost always, is Mr. Zach Weaver. Hey, hey. And Mr. Mike Bussing. Hey. All right, we've got a bunch of questions from you guys. I know Zach's got a lot to say, so we're going to take a quick break and we'll get right into it. Texas Ranger James Holland is a legendary interrogator. They call him the serial killer whisperer. You can't hide those indications, and that's why yesterday I knew that he did it. But now, shocking interrogation tapes reveal how the super cop really operates. And that's why they asked me to come in, because I'm special. From something else, The Marshall Project and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Smokescreen. Just say you're sorry. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, first thing I want to talk about, because it wasn't an area I was planning to go into at all in this episode, but I did end up circling back to it, was the wallet. And I found it very, the process I went through Looking into the wallet as far as who had opportunity to get rid of it uh, once it was stashed, and even more importantly, who had the opportunity to stash it was pretty enlightening to me. Zach, what were your thoughts on the wallet segment? I really liked the wallet segment. I, I think it was really enlightening. You really broke down every person really well. The one thing that I think that I kind of had an idea about, and I think a few listeners also brought it up, was another Jennifer theory. Which is when she left, she ditched. She did ditch the wallet, which you talked about. Uh-huh. But I think she could have possibly retrieved it later, which I know doesn't seem like the most likely thing to do. But being a 15-year-old, there's a lot of things that 15-year-olds do or kids do that are very unexplainable. So you're talking about that that, that if she left the scene with it, stashed it somewhere yeah, on the so property. Yeah, so she left then... the scene. She hops the fence back. She's seen. You know, there's there's people that say she's seen it. And then she walks off. Right. Maybe she walks around the corner, ditches it in a bush. Okay. And then at some point thinks she needs to go retrieve it. And so she goes and gets it and then takes it back into the. And takes it back into the apartment, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But like I said before, you know, the immaturity, they, people do things that don't make sense. Maybe she thought she needed to have that to hide it better that it would come back to her or not. Yeah, I, I got to say, I just, I just don't. I think there are other possibilities and certainly that could be one of them. I just, I can't. See that. So, so it, it, in this scenario, she would walk away with the wallet, 
She stashes it somewhere. Presumably, she looked in it to see. But maybe she hasn't at that point. You know, we're making a lot of assumptions. This is the problem. Well, well, yeah. So, okay. So let's say she didn't. So then later she's like, I want to go back and find that wallet. And find that wallet. She goes back, finds the wallet. And at that, at that point, doesn't look in it still and then carries it all the way back. Once it's away from an area where it could possibly be connected to her, carries it back into the apartment, which she wouldn't be in, I don't think, without Eva. So, but if she's, if she's quote unquote staying there like she says she is, she could have access to it. She could have hit it on her person. And also being, being of that age, I don't think by – by being out there, like if she stashed it and picked it back up, I don't think she's going to look at it right there. She's out in the open. She wants to get to a secluded area like the apartment mm-hmm. to hide it or to look at it. Then she opens it and says, oh, there's no money in here. Yeah. And stuffs it behind the fridge. Possibly. Yeah. I mean, gosh. I, well, let me ask you, in, in, in the realm of possibilities, uh, so, so let's say possibilities are Eva takes the wallet up and stashes it in there. or Jen stashes it in the just Jen just has it in her pocket, leaves, comes back and puts it in there, doesn't stash it somewhere else first. Or uh, another possibility is that uh, that it was just stolen from the crime scene later. We'll get into that a little bit, too, that it wasn't actually part of the murder and then get stashed up there. And then like this fourth option being that Jen stashed it somewhere else, left it, went back retrieved it and then took it back to the crime scene in into Eva's apartment between those four possibilities where would you rank that one out of those four probably third i'm not saying it's the most probable but i'm saying it's another theory i'm just yeah it's more probable than the it's stolen in a completely different fashion than the murder okay good so let's let's talk about that one because that's another that's a more popular theory see and i think that's the most improbable theory out of them Okay, and then that what we're talking about here is that um, the the most the most common theory that I've heard from people is that in one of Jennifer's statements she says that she's standing in the doorway and Eva tells her to move the the purse is laying right next to Catalina's body. Eva tells her to grab it and she picks it up and sets it on a chair. And there have been theories that that during that process that she could have taken the wallet then, which is after the murder. Now you find that to be less probable than the other scenario. We just talked about that. Why is that? I I just don't feel like if they're right there, there's a dead body right there. They're, they're inserting themselves way too much into this at this point Mm -hmm. to take the wallet afterwards. If it's an after a complete afterthought, if it's not part of the commission of the crime, it it makes way no, it makes no sense. They're going to risk getting caught right then and there trying to steal a dead woman's purse. It, It just, it, is very improbable to me. My issue with it is is more just based on what we have from the other witnesses and stuff at the scene is the fact that there was no purse next to her body. So, you know, you have Keith Truesdale. And what I'm getting at is I don't think Jennifer ever picked up that person and moved it. There's a few reasons. One, you know, Keith Truesdale comes in. He says there, you know, he sees her body there in front of the door. And the planter and plant stand are blocking the door. So he picks them. So he's, you know, he's right down there going through stuff on the ground, picks up the planter, picks up the plant stand, moves it, opens the door, doesn't see a wallet. He's asked later, doesn't see a wallet. Pam Wiley then comes in and is checking the body, checks her for a pulse and leaves. She's asked, she didn't see a purse there. Like nobody saw, there was no purse there. I, there, I don't see there's any way of missing, especially because of where it would have had to have been seen. 
because the way the door opened, the door opened would have hit, you know, it hits at about Catalina's waist. So coming in the door, all you can see is her legs and, and where her legs are at, there's no dirt there. There's, you know, it's, it's, it's like, you know, her legs against the light carpet. It's not like you could miss a wallet sitting there. Mm-hmm. And to think that, you know, if, if, if in, in that scenario, that would mean, or excuse me, she says a purse, which then in this scenario, the wallet would be inside. So now we're talking about the killers, if they're not involved, they go later. And if Keith and Pam just happen to miss the wallet, they, remember, she's found on her side, and then they roll her over onto her back. That means the killers went in there, they beat her to death, and st- beat her and stabbed her to death, and then her purse containing her wallet is right there, and they take the car keys and don't just grab the wallet with them, too. Yeah, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Yeah, it's it's hard for that to, you know, it, yeah, it's just hard hard to make sense for number one. There's witnesses that say it wasn't there. It doesn't make sense for the killers to have left it there. It doesn't make sense for Catalina to have had her purse with her at the front door when she's still in her night robe. Like why? Yeah, and there's and, and certainly somebody will. Yes, certainly there are scenarios where that would be the case. You know, where, why? Why? You know, maybe it was stored on a table. Whatever scenario, but for, but really. There's not a really logical scenario why she's holding her purse there at the door or how it got there if the killers weren't taking it. So that, for me, that's why that one doesn't make sense. Uh, also, no one actually says Eva's ever in the apartment. Only Jennifer says that. Eva says she was never in the apartment. You know, there's just there's just a whole lot of that story that just doesn't doesn't add up. So I don't. I also don't think that. But but I honestly put that up above the stash it, go get it, come back. Okay. Theory personally. But I agree with you that they're both pretty low. No, I definitely see your point. And I, and I think that I think it's just another theory that can be put out there is that she did retrieve it, whether it's that probable or not. But there's if we have all these scenarios, you know, there's a there's a lot that could have happened. Yeah, it, it, it's certainly a possibility now. So so for you, you with me, the, the then your, your top two most likely would be either that Jennifer took it up there or Eva does. Do you have do you have an opinion on? Which is more likely? And I, I guess, I guess, leading that into, what did you think of my analysis of who actually had the most opportunity? Uh, I think, it, I think you really broke it down well. I think the Eva theory, being that she had more opportunities to do it, is really interesting. Um, yeah, you're correct on Jennifer just stashing it and hanging, hanging out with it that whole time does seem unlikely. But I also have a very hard time with all the witness statements that say she didn't go back in we don't really know that she didn't go back in you know what i mean that's that's the problem going back into eva's apartment to stash it are you talking about jennifer jennifer okay you know what i mean like we say that she walked around and she went and sat down you know we have all these statements but not everybody's focused on her the whole time because they're not she's not a suspect so we right. don't necessarily know or she's not a suspect at that time we don't know that she didn't go in there right she could have went in there and chucked it up on top of the refrigerator so uh, there's so many things and that's you know, I know that we're we're basically talking in circles about this wallet at this point anymore. You know, it's just theories. It's just hearsay. It's mm-hmm. all assumptions. It, so it's really difficult. I, I wish we had better answers, but it's really difficult to know what's going on. Yeah, all we can do and all I'm trying to do is just, is just really just trying to break it down step by step and look at everything practically. And in order for to, in order to find the opportunity to Eva for Eva to have put it there, it's pretty simple. It's actually extremely simple. We know she went back into the apartment, whether she was innocent or, you know, we know she's standing at the door. We know she went back in 
after she got after she got back with Pam and the youngster and Katie came out and then she came out. She was in there alone a couple of times. So the, it, it's not difficult to figure out, to come up with a hypothetical scenario for her to do it. Jennifer gets a little more tricky as far as, but then, you know, the fact that it wasn't retrieved is, 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 is more baffling really to me than, than anything. Another thing I wanted to talk about, because somebody made a post about it and I, I and I'm just, I, I don't know that, I don't know if this means anything or what it means, but I think it's worth putting it out there here on the air for everybody to think about and discuss a little bit. Someone asked on the fan page, when did Eva put her shoes on? And I think when she posted, she's like, it probably means nothing. But I was like, I got to thinking about it was like, that is actually a really good point. So remember in Eva's two versions of the story in the first one, she says she's sound asleep. She hears the screaming. And when she realizes what it was, she jumps up and runs out. Her exact words were, I jumped up and went outside. And, and then from downstairs, she hears the fake voice. And then she runs to the account to the, the manager's office. And, and, and know that, yeah, understand that we don't know she could have been barefoot that whole time. We don't know if she was or not. We, she could have had a pair of flip flops sitting by the front door, but it just, it just, to me, it struck me as that's something to think. We see a picture of her sitting, we, you know, in the crime scene video of her sitting on the steps, mm-hmm. you know, in that time frame. We know and at that point, it looks like she's wearing shoes, but it just, it just struck me as interesting because then the other version was she's sleeping, hears the screaming. And youngster comes in and asks her if she hears that they talk about it. And again, she jumps up and goes outside. There's never a point in her story where she puts shoes on or slips sandals on. Do you think that's a detail she would have included, though? It's hard to say. She's pretty detailed about everything else. Okay. You know what I mean? So, so again, like I so said, this is nothing. Don't think that I'm saying this is something definitive, like, ha ha, boom, 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 boom. She yeah, I just, shoes I just don't know that it's a that's something that she would have included, especially maybe if it's shoes, she includes it. But if it's if it's sandals or flip flops, I don't think it's something. Especially sandals by the door, I don't think it's necessarily something you would include. I I think that it for a very basic again problem is we don't have her exact words. Mm-hmm. And doing a statement analysis, those you know I've said before, which you're looking for detailed something that flows. There's a beginning, middle, and end. There's not holes. Those are things you're looking for in true statements. Now, granted, we know she's lying at least one of those statements because they're both different. But yeah, I would expect like. You know, when, when, when an officer is talking her through and like, like every step by step, what happened? That's usually how they'll do it. Walk me through it. And like, I wake up. So like when we see that with Jennifer, I got up, I went and brushed my teeth. I washed my hair and then I got dressed and then I left. You know, you hear those little, you know, of course you don't hear Jennifer say I put shoes on, but she says she got dressed and did these things and left. So it's just, it, it's just, it's a, it's just the fact that she gives a very, she doesn't say I got up and then I went out. It says I jumped out and ran out. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it's like I jumped out and ran out the door. When did the, when did the shoes get put on? It's just again, it's 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 nothing we're going to be able to come to a concrete conclusion on. I thought it was an interesting question. It's something for people to think about because you know the the implication is if she already had, you know, for all we know, she sleeps in her shoes. Who knows? But you know, the, you know, you 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 think about different ways this could affect how the case went down and it could be well if she's got shoes laced up before she goes out you know on and laced up before she goes out then she very likely wasn't sound asleep and just got jerked jerked awake by screaming that she was prepared and planning to go out just again just just food for thought just some, something to think about uh i don't think there's much there but it was a, it was a good enough question that i thought at least should be posed to everybody to consider Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So then moving forward in the episode, you the second half where we kind of talk about break down the investigation, which obviously we saw how unthorough it really was. But something struck me in there is that in one part of that, they're using Youngster to make phone calls for them, Mm -hmm. which I find very interesting because we've already, you know, we've already kind of said that we don't think these guys would have narked. We don't think they would be snitches. We don't think they would have helped the police in any way, you know, but here we have proof that he was helping at some point. So it seems like if he had some knowledge that he would possibly pass it on, or maybe I'm just wishful thinking. I don't know. But it's something I caught that they were using Youngster. The police were using Youngster yeah. to make phone calls for them. Well, that's one thing that makes me think they might have been leaning on him a little bit. I mean, I don't think that they, you know, they didn't have to go down to the station and give statements. Mm-hmm. You know, so, yeah, they were they were cooperating, at least giving the Im- impression of cooperation. But they weren't, you know, look at their two statements. They didn't go in there and tell the truth. You can't say they went in and told the truth because at least one of them's lying. Okay. Because their stories are nothing like each other. Well, and I think I think at that point, I mean, this is this is the hard part of this whole story is everybody's lying. Right. So that's so hard. Yeah. So so as far as like, do I think that it's significant that the police went to their house, talked to them again, and then got him to, you know, it says with mother's permission and stuff, and then got him to be ready to answer a page? Do I think that means that, you know, maybe they would be someone who would snitch? No, I don't think so. I think they just got pressured into it. Whether they had information they weren't sharing or not, you know, when the the police come by, they've already arrested somebody else, and they're telling them like, "Hey, we need you to do this. We need you. We need you to basically be the one to answer the call if they call back on this page." You know, I don't think the fact that they didn't say no, I'm not going to do that, means that they wouldn't. You know, that that they you know that that they're working with police and would snitch on somebody. They've always tried to give the police the impression, at least, that they're working with. Them. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what I'm saying is I feel like by doing that more so, though, if he had guilty knowledge, I think it would have came forward more. I don't know what they shared with him because now I'm thinking so this, so this call's coming in, right? And they're going to be answering the call. It just makes you wonder what what did they tell the police? Why did they think Youngster would be the one that would be okay to answer? It's part of the reasons why I think this whole investigation is so shady. Mm-hmm. You know, because what would make you think? Why? Because he's black? Like, you know what I mean? Like, what is the reason? That youngster needs to be the one to answer the call unless they think the caller knows youngster. Yeah, that's true. Why do they think the caller knows youngster? Are they assuming? Did he say something to them? We don't. We have no idea. Yeah, it's very strange. Yeah, so it's a, it's a weird scenario. And and then again, you look at they're doing. You know, you think well, they never did a follow up after youngster and KD gave their statements to find out how they're you know they're both full of shit basically. Mm-hmm. And but then we see no, they did circle back. But it just it shows it goes to show you how disinterested Allen and Swainson were in finding the actual truth. I mean, you know, so I mean, look at this scenario. So so they arrest Jennifer. They know 
they believe Jennifer has two accomplices, two male accomplices. There's two, two males in the apartment upstairs that she knows. They read their statements and see both of them are giving different versions of the story. They circle back and talk to him to the next day. They didn't think maybe they would be suspects. They didn't deserve more. So we don't know. What I'm saying is we don't know how this shook out because they certainly had enough ammunition to pressure them to doing just about anything. Mm-hmm. You know, imagine you sit down. We just arrested her for capital murder. She says she has two guys that helped her and you got and you lied in your statement. You know, there's it's it's a a lot of this. I'm, I'm just kind of spitballing here as I'm thinking about it as we're sitting here. But but that that had to be a really interesting, complex situation that I wish we had more information on. But, of course, we don't because they didn't document anything. Yeah, I think that's one of the most upsetting things about this entire case. And I know I've said it multiple times over this season that I just cannot believe, regardless of where you fall on Jennifer, that there's been no justice served to Catalina. I've said it multiple times and I'll say it again. Like, it's ridiculous that these they, they did not investigate anybody else. Or try to find the actual killers of Catalina. Uh, it's, it's it's pathetic, and I've had there's there's a uh, we have a listener that 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 says they're a, a re- retired detective from a metro and like I've, I've, I there, I just had a conversation the other day on the fan page where somebody was was referencing this person. It was we were talking about the fingerprints, how they don't have to take pictures of fingerprints, and they're like, well, I, well, so and so who's a listener and, and is on the page. You know, as a retired detective in a metropolitan area, and they said they didn't, they never took pictures. And and that same detective told me it's like, well, just because they didn't document anything doesn't mean it didn't happen. They could have done this big long investigation. I've been through this process and I know how it works. And all I'm thinking is like, yeah, there's there's cops out there who think it's okay to kneel on somebody's neck too. That doesn't make it the right way to do it. You know, what I mean, and that, that's this is like so so because your experience working in a police department that was doing things wrong. By the so so in the fingerprint example, you know we look at we had listeners that have shown like DOJ directives from the '90s, Houston Police Department procedures from the '90s, every textbook on fingerprint collection from that from the '90s that all say the procedure is to dust it visually when you visually see a print, take a photograph of it, then do the lift. Every one of the books say to do it that way, and they're like, well, it's not done that way because that's not how we did it. Just because you did it wrong doesn't mean it's not right. Like this was a terrible. Terrible investigation. It was terribly investigated. It was terribly documented. I think there's there. I, I really think that that Swainson is was there's more. I think there's more to meets the eye with Swainson. I don't think this was. I don't think a lot of this was accidental. I have to agree. All right, guys, let's jump into these questions. Ellen says, "Hi, Occam's Razor here. Wouldn't it be the simplest explanation that Catalina's wallet was found in Catalina's apartment behind the fridge?" The fact that the wallet only became important right around trial tells me that it wasn't found significant at the time it was found. I think it was in Catalina's apartment all along, and the way to clear this up is to find out when Eva's apartment was re-rented and when Catalina's apartment was re-rented. Too bad that apparently is impossible. Okay, a couple things. Uh, one, when you said that uh, the wallet didn't become important until trial, but going back to what we were just talking about, Nothing was important until trial. I mean, look at this case. Three days. Three days. They looked for the accomplices. And actually, all that time, they weren't even looking for the accomplices. But they spent three days investigating this case and then did nothing until Jennifer's attorney reached out to them in December and wanted to do the drive around. And then they did nothing until just before the trial. So it wasn't just the wallet. They They did nothing. They did not investigate this case. As far as Occam's razors go, 
I don't know that this would be so Occam's razor, meaning the you know it's usually the solution is usually the simplest solution. To me, Occam's razor would be the painter said that he found the wallet in the up. He didn't remember the apartment number, but in the upstairs apartment. And then Keith Truesdale said that he found the wallet in Eva's apartment. So to me, the most simple explanation would be it was found in Eva's apartment. And besides that, I also can't come up with a scenario as to why the killer would stash Catalina's wallet in her own apartment behind the refrigerator. And so then the only other explanation would be if maybe somehow Catalina dropped it or just coincidentally it dropped it back there. But I definitely don't think that is the simplest solution. I think the simplest solution is it was found exactly where they said it was found. And as far as it not being important to the case, you know, the all they, you know, like I said, they weren't doing anything. And Cobb called into the homicide division, told them he had it. They noted it and told him to check it in. And the, the reason it all came up in, in August was because Allen, when he finally pulled, or September, Allen finally pulls the file because he needs to get ready for trial for this case he clearly didn't give two shits about. And then sees this, this, this wallet note was put in there. And then he goes to get the wallet and it's not there. But yeah, so I, in my opinion, the simplest solution is it was found exactly where they said it was going to be found or where it was found. And as far as them not caring about it till trial, it's just because they didn't care about anything until trial. Lynn says, I've concluded likely the reason the wallet was left behind was because neither Eva or Jen were able to retrieve it. They couldn't move the refrigerator, so they had no choice but to leave it or involve someone else. Do you agree? I think I think that there's a whole, it's just like everything else, right? With this, and I think Zach's right. We're kind of talking in circles around it, but I think there are several potential solutions as as far as like why it wasn't why it wasn't taken. And I think that's a, I think I think I think the most likely reason it wasn't taken. I'd say it's a toss up in my mind. I, I did this to you, so I'll do it to myself. Which one's more likely? The fact that it was left there by Jennifer because Jennifer got arrested and didn't have the opportunity to come back. Of course, she could have moved it the night before and, and other times too, but because she got arrested and she didn't come back, she didn't have the opportunity to get rid of it. And the other salute, the other um, one that I would say is 50-50 with that one for me is it was just out of sight, out of mind. It seemed like it was an immovable object. Maybe they, we, I, Zach and I just did this with the fridge that's in our, in our office here in our kitchen. And mind you, we were moving the fridge around. We're both large men. Right. We're not small people. Yeah. You know, we're, we we can pretty easily move it around. And it still was troublesome to move the fridge around. Yeah. Getting it, you know, our, and I don't know that these fridges back then, if it's an old fridge with coils, exposed coils on the back, it may not have had wheels. This fridge out here does have wheels on it. But even that one, for me to get it going, I kept the doors kept opening. I kept pulling. And I'm 6'1", 280 pounds trying to move it. And once I got it moving, it rolled right out of there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I could definitely see how someone who's five foot two and 115 pounds could look at that and, and try to try to budget and just say, forget it. It's, it's stashed back there. But it's, yeah, I think it's, I would say that the, the possibility of either one of those is 50, 50 in my mind. They, to me, to me, both of those scenarios make sense. I'll say that. Lynn's got another one here. Do you think all of Jen's lies revolve around the fact that she stole the wallet when in the apartment, she was protecting herself from a theft charge, not thinking they were after a capital murder charge. It just reminds me of Ed Eights and borrowing the car. Yeah, I don't think so, because she admitted to too many other things. And that's a big thing for me is the, the fact that Jennifer never mentions the wall. The only thing close we get is her saying that she picked a purse up and put it on a chair, which we already discussed. Plus, oh, by the way, wasn't found on the chair, it was found on the table. 
We have pictures of it. We know exactly where it was. So she definitely did not pick up a purse and move it to a chair, as she said she did, as far as that goes. But no, I mean, she she admits to being the lookout. She admits to breaking into the apartment, which she had to know at that point. She's now now she knows she's at least admitting to it. She may not think she's admitting to murder. She knows she's admitting to a crime. She broke into Catalina's apartment. She admits to going through her purses. And again, how does the wallet not come up? You know, if, if the wallet was taken during the court, and I know this is not your question, Lynn, but just kind of a streaming thought here. If she's if her confession is true and she's confession, confessing to the crime, she says she she in detail talks about how she she's rifling through the wall the purses, how she had to go into the bedroom and get the other purse and bring it out into the living room, and then she's looking through the purse and finally finds the keys. Like the fact that she doesn't say, and I took the keys and the wallet out, is one of the reasons I don't think she knows anything about the wallet. But anyway, she admits to taking the keys for the car for the purpose of stealing the car. She admits to opening the drawer to get the murder weapon out. Like she, she admits to all these things. So she, so she is admitting to crimes. I don't think that the source of her lies then would be, I don't want that that that. You know, so what we're what we'd be saying is that she's innocent, right? That she's innocent of the murder, but after the murder, she went in, saw the wallet, and grabbed it and left with it. I don't think that she would find that more incriminating. That she's like, I don't want him to know that I actually took this wallet that I found laying around. I don't, I, I don't want them to know that, but then tell them she did all those other things. Like, I, I just, in my mind, that doesn't add up. I, I I truly believe at this point, my, and it's not to say this is fact or that I'm right, but in my honest opinion, I don't think Jennifer knows. I think the reason Jennifer never mentions the wallet, doesn't tell him where it is, is because she doesn't know about the wallet. Jordan says, during the trial, did Jennifer's attorney dispute Eva, stating that she witnessed her putting something in her pocket? I would assume if it was false, it would be followed up on. Yeah, when we if you go back and listen to the Eva episode where we went through her trial transcripts, yeah, uh, Coyne hit on that pretty hard because she, you know, she we have all of her her police statements, and then when she goes to the grand jury, she starts making up more stories. You know, she tells the grand jury that her hands were bloody and her arms were bruised, and there's I think she might have said there's blood on her clothes, and that's where the stuffing the stuffing something into her into her pants or pockets came about was at the grand jury and and coin hit her on that pretty hard about like this was not in your statement originally and again so and, and as i said in the episode that's one thing like why is eva talking about her stuff like jennifer's not saying anything about the wallet as though she doesn't know about it but eva clearly knows about it now in her defense that could mean that the the, the police or the da told her leading up to the grand jury testimony you know what I need to go back. I'm just thinking about this. We need to go find out when the grand jury indicted. Because I because I would assume she was indicted way before the trial. I'll tell you this. If the grand jury occurred before September, then I don't see how anyone can argue that Eve is not, not a direct participant in this crime. As I'm thinking about it. And I'm pretty sure it did. I need to go look. So So the detectives connected to the case didn't know about the wallet until September. That's when Alan found out about the wallet. At the grand jury, and I need I need to piece this together and and and, and confirm that that's what, but I believe this that, that she said that at the grand jury, I believe. And that's what I need to double check in that because I, I remember 
There was different things he was saying that she said at the grand jury she didn't say at trial. But if Eva is telling the story about her seeing her stuffing something into her pockets before the police knew about the wallet, then I don't see how you can argue Eva's not involved in this. Because she would be showing guilty knowledge of that wallet before the police even knew about it. So that's really interesting. When did they find the actual wallet? Like, when did they actually find the thing? So they they actually found it on May 27th, end of May. Okay. But, so it's found by, that's when, when uh, Urbano found it. Keith found it a couple days later. He turned it over to Officer Cobb, who called the homicide division and spoke with a different homicide, spoke with, he did not speak with Alan and Swainton. He lists the name of the guy that he spoke to. That he says, hey, I found this wallet. I think it's connected to this case. That officer told him to then put it into the evidence room. Okay. And then not a word about it until September when Alan says he's reviewing the files, sees that there's a wallet, goes into the evidence room to go retrieve it. So the detectives connected to the case, anyone who might have had contact with Eva prior to the grand jury testimony or so, or the DA would be really the one that would be talking to Eva. Alan didn't. You know, he he might have known there was a wallet. They didn't. He had never seen it touched, laid eyes on it. He sees. He's not till September that he sees the wallet supposed to be in the property room, and he goes in to get it to go do some testing on it before trial, and realizes it's not there. But I, I really want to find out. I will make sure I address on Sunday when the grand jury testimony is. All right, that's really interesting. Like I said, I I'm just curious because because Cobb had it, so I mean somebody knows about the wallet, right? But like you said, Detective Allen hasn't seen it or heard of it until later, right? So this this is a this is an avenue to look into. Yeah, it would it, to me like that's huge because even if they did know there was a wallet, like like the fact that Eva, because this has to go all the way up to the DA, right? For for Eva to be getting information to go to testify, unless she has some sort of connection to the police, which people have theorized mm-hmm. as a criminal informant or having a relationship with one of them or something like that. But yeah, it, it's I think that's a big problem for Eva. If the grand jury met, if the grand if the grand jury indictment happened prior to the discovery of the wallet. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Amy says, will the new seasons of the podcast follow more of the older case formats, where you start with the investigation first and get into suspects much further into the investigation? I feel like this season jumped into whether Jennifer was guilty or innocent pretty early on. Although I don't participate much, I'm a longtime listener and love your show. What do you think? Yeah, so this season went that way because the investigation, there wasn't an investigation. 
you know, so, so you look, yeah. And normally we look at the, you know, the, the kind of format always is we kind of tell the story of what happened based on what kind of the accepted theory is, uh, or that was presented at trial. And then we dig into the investigation and the evidence. And then, and then we start looking at, could this be, and along the way, as you're presenting evidence, we're, you know, we're analyzing it. Could this be true? Could this be false? You know, are there any problems with it? And so essentially we're investigating the investigation to determine if the person was actually wrongfully convicted. So you take a case like Ed H, you know, there was months and months of investigation and interviews and evidence and testing and, and manipulating witnesses and jailhouse snitches, all that stuff we had to investigate. In Jennifer's case, you had an interview. She went to sleep the next day, goes in, she just does a seven hour interview and they get her to sign a confession. That was the investigation. So there was nothing else to investigate other than us starting to break. This is a very unique case, you know, for us to be able to, we had, a, we had nothing but witness statements, statements to, uh, to break down. And even after the arrests, as we found out today, there was only three days of investigation that happened after that. So there just wasn't, you know, we don't have a ton of forensics. We just don't have a lot of information to work on. But yes, that is still, that was, you know, this, it actually was the format for this season. It's just the materials dictated, you know, how we progressed through it. And, and yeah, in our next season, that'll definitely be the case. Our, our next season is actually going to be uh, what I'm calling a mini season. It'll be probably six or so, maybe eight episodes, and it will be more, more centered around getting exposure and telling the story than, a, than an actual investigation for us. Um, and so we're, I think I mentioned last week, we're going to be, we're going to be stair stepping into our next big season. So we're going to have like this mini season. We're going to have a shorter season after that, another case. And then we're going to have our next big, big, big season after that. All right. Our last couple questions come from Kim. When Alan returned to the complex looking for Eva, she was not there. So they went to the office and called her father. They didn't say they asked the office people where Eva was and what her dad's number was. So I'm assuming they went to the office to use the phone. My questions are, how did they know Eva was at her father's? How did they know the father's phone number? And if the police knew Eva's father or were friends with him, could this be why they knew she was there, knew his number, and took her word for everything? Love your work. Greetings from down under. Good catch. Good question. I don't know the answer, obviously, to those, but those are, again, something something worth pondering. I didn't even catch that, that they went to, yeah, so they went to the office to use the phone and they called her father. It could be maybe they had... We actually have releasing documents. I can look. But it could be that that's who she had listed as a contact. Secondary or emergency line. Yeah, something like that. So it could be nothing nothing out of the ordinary. It could have just been the number that was listed on there. If not, yeah, that'd be super interesting. Like how how would they know the father's phone number? How would they know to contact him? Um, interesting thoughts. I uh, don't really have an answer for you, but um, something else to look into. So now we got the grand jury. Uh, indictment date to look into, and I don't really know what we can look into with this, but it's it's definitely something to think about. Uh, and you said that's it for questions, Mike. That's it. All right. Uh, so thanks everybody for listening. As I said, I do want to fill you guys in where we're at. Um, this is going to be a bummer for some of you, and some of you I think will be super excited. Um, we are, I think we're we're about a week or week or so away from wrapping up this investigation, this case. Uh, the reason being, as I promised last week, I did reach out to the family and I reached out to Jennifer's attorney. I told him that if we're going to continue forward, I'm going to need to be able to interview Jennifer. And if we, and if we can't, 
then then we're just not going to be able to continue on. We have a huge gap. As I told him, I said, "Listen, we've you know our listeners have never even heard Jennifer deny the confession, and they've never heard her give her side of the story. And we, I need, I, I need her side of the story if we're going to proceed on with this and continue to work on the case." Uh, and, and he got back with me and said, sorry, we can't do it. He's not gonna, he's not gonna allow her to be interviewed. And so with that, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna have to pull the plug on this season. So, you know, this, this weekend for Sunday, I've got something that, that, that I've gotten the works to work on. I was trying, there's a, there's a witness I've been trying to track down that I haven't been able to find, but I think, I think one thing that we might do, we've been through almost the entire trial transcripts. I think I may go through the uh, the closing statements and let you know how the trial was left off. And then, and then as of now, the plan is next week, I will break down and present as we do at the end of every season, kind of pr- present what my final theory is, my thoughts on the case. Um, everything I have is being shoveled over to, um, to Jennifer's attorney. Most of it I've already given him anything that I've come across. And then hopefully we'll be starting the new season, t- the the new season right after that. Just know that, um, you know, as always, this may be a bit of a, a bit of a bumpy ride for the next couple of weeks because you know I am in contact with the attorney of the person that is going to be the subject of the next season. They're 100 percent on board. They have a ton of documents. Our, our uh, research team, or our case selection team, has done a phenomenal job, um, and we've also got teams set that are in waiting that we're reaching out to now to help organize those documents. But in the meantime, I'm trying to bring this season to a conclusion. And launch the next season. So, you know, if it feels like there might be like a filler episode in there somewhere, just know there is. You know, we, as I told you before, just fully transparent. Contractually, we can't take weeks off. We have contracts with advertisers, so so we're going to make sure we keep. We have we have to make sure we're putting the episodes out every week. Um, but we have uh, we've got a we've got three really good cases loaded up for you that are going to take us through the next year as soon as we're able to wrap this one and launch into it and get started. So. That's what's coming up soon. Um, uh, please take a uh, take a minute and, and check out True Crime Binge. Uh, we had who do we have this week? Uh, Cherry and Morgan from the Crimepedia podcast. Morgan is uh, the captain, and Nick's uh, old childhood friend. Uh, he's got a he's got a really good podcast. Ch- check out a couple of those episodes. I'd appreciate it. Tell your friends, and uh, make sure you tune in on Sunday. And hopefully, I'll have something about some of these uh, lingering questions that we came up during this one. Thanks, everybody. We love you. We'll talk to you soon. Truth and Justice is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Wondery. Produced and edited by Mike Bussing, and all music for the show was created and composed by PutThemInASong.com. Our follow-up logo was created by Zach Weaver, and all of our font across all of our logos and banners were created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. You can find more of Tate's work on Etsy. Thank you to Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website, Truth and Justice Pod, where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. And a big thank you to our transcription team, Pamela Westby, Kathy McElhaney, Charlena White, Kay Wood Yomnick, Ginger Fiola, Edith Swanneck, Lindsay Pease, Erica Cantor, and Jen Reese Incandela. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd really like to support us, you can do so in a number of ways. 
To financially support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. On the Patreon page, you can pledge as little as $3 a month, and we also have reward levels on Patreon that include access to behind-the-scenes videos of the tapings of our Friday follow-up episodes, ad-free versions of all of our episodes, Truth and Justice Army t-shirts and hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. You can also help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. And lastly, you can always support us by supporting the companies that sponsor this program. If you have a new case that you'd like us to consider for future seasons, you can submit your cases on our website, Truth and Justice Pod. Just click the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is engage in the investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page. For all of you tweeters, you can connect with us on Twitter at TruthJusticePod. To follow our personal accounts on social media, I can be found at Bob Ruff Truth. Mike can be found at Murb Gaming, M-U-R-R-B-G-A-M-I-N-G. And Zach is at Z to the Q. And don't forget that we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, and tips on our cases. That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, we're signing off. I'm Bob Ruff. I'm Zach Weaver. And I'm Mike Bussing. And this has been Truth and Justice. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Truth and Justice. This is your Friday... What? What? <laughs> what? I, you, you're just so good at snapping back. <laughs> I see out of the corner of my eyes. You just You're just so apart. good at snapping into you're character. falling like, apart over there. Like, you're, one second, you're just <laughs> completely hysterically laughing, and the next you're like, oh, hello, everybody, and welcome. It's just funny. It's my job, Mike. I know. <laughs>